So last week I introduced a series, a new series that we're titling Unburdened. And I'm anchoring into one of the epic statements of Jesus that rocked my world, and it's sometimes called the Great Invitation. So in the book of Matthew, right at the end, we have, some of you have heard of the, the, the Great Commission, where we are told as Christians the what of Christianity, and that's to go and make disciples. But you back up to Matthew 22 from Matthew 28, and you have what's called the Great Commandment. And I kind of like to think of it as the why of what we do. The greatest command is to love God and love others. And so that's the what and the why of Christianity. But for Christians, you don't really care. You don't adopt the the motives and and the work of a Christian until you accept the invitation of Jesus to follow him. That's when those become relevant. So back in Matthew 11, there's this great invitation of Jesus. And the words that he uses are like medicine for our souls. He says it like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in this series, I'm asking the question, what is it about our faith? What is it about Jesus's gospel that eases the burden of life? What is it about Christianity that lightens the load, that rests our souls? And so I listed a bunch of words last week. You remember, these are just me brainstorming words that I hear and use often to describe how I'm doing, right? I'm sure you can relate to at least one of these, if not a dozen of them. Words that explain either why we're feeling overburdened or explain or describe how we feel because we're overburdened. These are common experiences in life for all humans, including Christians, because life's complicated. Life is heavy. And so the question of this series is, does the invitation that you've received from Jesus, is it great? Is it great enough to lighten this load or does your call from Jesus seem to add to it is the gospel that you've received is it this refreshing relieving reality that you've entered into called the kingdom or does it add to your burden does the invitation to follow Jesus feel light or heavy to you does it feel light or heavy so in this series I want to elevate and celebrate the, what we have in our followership of Jesus that lightens our load and provides some ease to our burden and rest for our souls, that provides us just with <sighs> relief, relief. So before I reveal to you today the aspect of Christianity that I think provides us with some relief, I want to name one of the things that I think adds to our experience of these words. It's almost a curse, and that is the the curse of comparison. Comparison. I don't think I'm alone in this room when I say that I've struggled with comparison my whole life. It's, It's often like one of those computer programs that, like, you don't see it on the screen. It's kind of closed, but it's underneath and it's working all the time 
You don't see it, but it's working all the time, sucking energy, draining energy, pulling life out of you. And so it's important today to to name it. I want to name this curse of comparison. I've done a lot of work on this, but at a minimum, it still haunts me and tempts me, okay? At worst, it consumes me and I'm driven by it. So I could... I think I can remember one of the first times I was just thinking about this, one of the first times the poison of comparison. I just went, what's the earliest moment that I remember? And it, I went right back to first grade. In first grade, I was in uh, Miss Wheat's class. Miss Wheat was my teacher. And the scene that came to mind when I'm thinking about this was in lunch. And in the lunchroom, we've got these white tables, long tables, got chairs all the way around them. Miss Wheat sat at the end of the table, so me and my buddy sat all the way at the other end. And we always fought for the one right at the end, you know, just so that, I don't know why, we just wanted that end table, the head of the table, really the tail. And so my buddy, Ken Johnson, and I got in trouble again. I don't remember what we did wrong, but we both did it. And we got in trouble in the lunchroom. I can't remember because those are legion-type moments. There's a lot of them. So Miss Wheat, whenever we would do something wrong, would do this. And we'd make the long walk down around all the kids, and we'd stand right next to her. She'd just sit in her chair. She'd give us her lecture. And if it was bad enough, you would see the kid go like this because she gave us a swat. So I was first, you know, and I went down, and I got the swat, and I got the lecture, and I went back, sat down. And then Ken, Ken had to go down, and, you know, all eyes were watching the whole table, you know, watches this drama going on all the time in first grade. And, and, uh, and I did never see the, the move, you know? So anyway, he came back and we're talking, you know, about what she said and, you know, totally respectful of what she said. And, um, to, you know, changing our behavior forever because of it. And Ken said, Ken said, did, did she swat you? She give you the swat? I go, yeah. And he smiles real big and says, she didn't me. What? <laughs> what? Uh, uh, right there, right in that moment, the curse of comparison started going in. I've never thought about it till then, but here I am, 45 years later. I remember. I remember that moment. Why? And what am I supposed to do with this? That he got different treatment than me. You know, if, if I was counseling my seven-year-old self, I would say, that is not about you, buddy. That is nothing to do with you. You can't even guess what's going on with Miss Wheat. Okay, maybe she does inappropriately play favorites. Okay, and and Ken is a favorite. Maybe she knows Ken's mom. Okay, and so that affects how she treats Ken. Okay, maybe you know maybe she's mad at you for something you did before. You know you don't, and she's carrying that over into this time. You don't know what's going on. She might have had a bad day, and she just just she already swatted you, and she just didn't think to swat Ken. It might have been that innocent. But I was seven years old. I was seven years old, and I had to figure out what to do with this comparison. And it doesn't matter, by the way, which side of the equation you're on, right? If you get the favored status or you get the diminished status, either one, when you learn that 
How someone views you as compared to someone else has either perks or punishment attached to it. The curse of comparison is active. It's been activated and it starts to affect you. So what what could I do as a seven-year-old heart tries to... I shouldn't let it be this soul-shaping thing I'll remember 45 years from now. But maybe I should really, really... Maybe this is what I should do. I should try really, really hard to please Miss Wheat for the rest of the year to maybe try to elevate my status. Maybe I should just resent her and my seven-year-old heart doesn't know what's happening, but there's something in there that just feels wrong about this. And so I disrespect her. I don't like her. I hate her. You know, and so, so I don't treat her right. I talk bad about her to other students. Maybe that would happen. Maybe I try really hard to point out Ken's flaws for the rest of the year. To Miss Wheat, did you see that? He's my buddy. I'm throwing him under the bus because my seven-year-old heart's trying to get out of this diminished feeling. Theodore Roosevelt was famous for saying, comparison is the thief of joy. The comparison is the thief of joy. Do you you know what I'm saying? Do, Do you know? what I'm talking about when you it, it might be invisible but if you name it can you bring it forth can you put, open the window can you see it you felt it haven't you you compare your athletic skills with someone else's athletic skills you compare your academics with someone else's academics you compare your parenting with what you perceive someone else's parenting is you compare your kids academics or athletic skills with other parents kids academic skills or athletics you compare what you're making financially in your life in your season with others who you feel like are in the same season you compare you compare your vacation with other people's posts of the best pictures of their vacations you compare and it affects you It affects you. And we fall into this trap of measuring our own value, our own worth through the lens of comparison. Have you heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Most of you have heard that. That is a universally known phrase because comparison is a universally experienced dilemma. Even when we don't call it that. So I gave you this, the first, this seven-year-old initiation into the curse of comparison. But let me give you an exult an adult example. And my, 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 my experiences aren't yours. I'm just hoping you can find yours as I share mine. So Jerry Taylor preached here a few weeks ago. I got to hear, I got to see the effect it had on you. Kyle Way did a great and awesome three-week series not too long ago on doubt. I got to hear from you how it change your life how it advanced the kingdom adrian brad jerry uh, all these talented people come and stand where i stand regularly and they make a difference and my adult heart has a choice to make what do i do do i why do i even listen you're not even intending some of your comments what do i do maybe i I grab hold of those of you who might say, you know, it was good, but boy, I sure miss when you don't preach. And I grab onto that and I, oh my goodness, and I take it in and I use that as my linchpin of value. Maybe, 
Maybe I don't ever miss another Sunday because I do not want you to be exposed to anyone who preaches better than me because you'll know and the news is out and I lose my job. Maybe, maybe I get so diminished by this that I'm like, what? after that, from Jerry Taylor, I got no business preaching and I quit. It can go that far. Comparison is that vicious. What do we do about it? To all of this, Paul says in Galatians 6, 4, listen to this. He says, let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone without comparing himself to someone else. What an interesting idea that, that we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others when we're making a whole life about it, but we're not supposed to do that. And the perk of that is some personal rejoicing that's just within you, that's just right there. That sounds awesome. Great verse, but how? How do I do it? How? What is present in the gospel that, that I can proactively do that combats and relieves me from comparison? And I want to suggest to you the word calling calling is a part of the gospel message it's the part of the good news that i think annihilates the curse of comparison you can try try real hard to not compare yourself that never works you'll white knuckle it for a while you might succeed once a week but then it will low grade keep going so we need something from the gospel that we hold on to that we receive that we accept that just kills comparison and I believe it's calling see I don't preach because I preach as good as Jerry Taylor I preach because I'm called by God to preach and then I'm immune to all those podcasts I listen to that I will never measure up to right when we find our identity in Jesus, when we do what we do because God calls us to it, we escape the need for comparison. The apostle Peter is a great biblical example of this. He was among those disciples that were following Jesus and they were having a discussion among themselves concerning who's the greatest. That whole scene, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that whole scene is all about comparison. Who's the greatest? Can you imagine Peter in there? I'm trying to imagine Peter in that group and how he's proving he's the greatest, right? Like, hey, you know, you 12, you know, me and James and John, Peter, James, and John, we go a little bit further into the prayer garden with Jesus. We, we get to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Not you guys, we do. And James and John, now you two. He didn't change y'all's names. He calls me the rock. You know, and can you just see this this? Whether they're doing it out loud or they just are low-grade, the computer program's running, doing it, it's stealing something from them. It's bringing a heaviness, a difficulty, a need to win competition. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, I don't even remember this, but Peter kind of stood out in there. So when Jesus got to Peter, he's watching, Peter says, nope, not me, right? Peter needs to be different than everyone else. Not me, I should be washing your feet, you shouldn't wash me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Now that should have been enough. If Peter's just authentically was humble about this and it wasn't about comparison, then he would have just said, oh, 
okay, well, I do want to be a part of you. Nope, he says, okay, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Right? He wants to stand out among his peers. There's something in him broken that wants to do this. And so at the Passover table, Peter was determined not to fall away like maybe the rest might and passionate to prove his commitment as compared to others. But if you, as most of you know, Peter did fall away. It's okay if you don't know this, but he did fall away after all his bold talk, bolder than everyone else. In comparison to everyone else, he was the boldest talker. He's famous for it. When the pressure was on at the trial of Jesus, he's outside. And he denies that he even knows Jesus three times. Three times. Jesus told him he'd do it. Jesus said he wouldn't. And then he did do that. You know what he did in this crushed by his guilt, his failure? He quit. He went back to fishing. As if he'd never been called by Jesus in the first place, he just said, I've got no right. I just compared these guys. I mean, John, he followed him to the cross. He, I mean, may, I don't know what he did, but he did quit. He went back to fishing as if Jesus had never called him. And in John 21, Jesus shows up on the beach just where that boat is. And after Peter swims in to see him, Jesus, it's a famous scene where Jesus asks him three times, hey, do you love me? And, and Peter Yes, you know I love you. And each time he reminded him of what? His calling. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. And just to add to this lens of comparison, being embedded in Peter, this is how that ends, okay? Because he is now facing the relent, one of the most Stubborn characteristics of Jesus is his relentless pursuing love, fighting for you, against you, praise God. He is just awesome. He's facing that, and then he gives him that love. He, call, he says, I still got this calling for you. You haven't ruined it. You didn't shock me with your hypocrisy or your sin or your denial. I'm still calling you. And then, after addressing this guilt and shame and his addiction to standing out, this is how it ends, to put an exclamation point on this. John 21, verse 18. I tell you the truth, he's saying to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. That sounds a little mysterious to us, but fortunately, John explains it. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. I've got a calling for you, and it's up to and including how you're going to die. It's all going to glorify God, and I know that's your heart. So then, and so Peter, so he said, follow me. Peter then turned and saw John. Check this out. He, I mean, after all this restoration of his calling, and I mean, the forgiveness, he turns and looks at John and goes, what about him? How's he going to die? You know, what, what do you want from him? What, are you asking, is this fair? Is it, 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 how do I compare with him? And, and so then Peter saw him. He said, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. If I want Jerry Taylor to preach too, and he preached better than you and differently than you, what's that to you? You follow me. If I give other parents a, a way of parenting and access to resources and things that, that is certain that you look at and you compare yourself and what's that to you? 
You follow me. If someone else has been gifted with brainiac abilities and they're going to be top 10% in their class and you're not, what's that to you? You follow me. If someone else is going to be the head cheerleader or the captain of the football team, what's that to you? You follow me. Don't fall into this. The relief from the curse of comparison is calling. It's just what we call for all the time. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let me ask our elders and their spouses and our ministers to go ahead. They're going to spread around the room if this is touching anything in you and you just need a prayer. Or if you want to know more about this Jesus that we follow and this gospel that gives us this relief. Let me just ask you this as we finish up. Are you, are you tired? Appreciated Carl's prayer. Is your armor dented? Is your shield dented? Are you tired of trying to match up your life to not even other people's lives, but your perceptions of their life? Are you weary of trying to be as good as you perceive someone else is or as successful as someone else is or achieved or trying to be as spiritual as someone else is? Are you taking the numbers and the fact that the McKinney's are fostering and the Jansons are adopting and are you comparing yourself to that? And you're, What's that to you? You follow me. It may or may not include the calling to foster or adopt. Are you tired? You're not as talented as someone else. Here's, I want to take this great invitation of Jesus and just change some words and put it in the context of what we're talking about today to finish out. Come to me. All of you who are controlled by comparison, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and look only to me for approval. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my calling is easy on your soul. And my burden fits you perfectly. Perfectly. You need this, Jesus? Do you need this gospel? Put yours down. Lay it down. Lay your burden down. And receive the yoke of Jesus. Let's stand and let's sing. And if we can help you, please come.